0: The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. Congregation of Jesus Christ, are you feeling Lent yet? Are you feeling the opportunity of Lent? I hope so. I hope you're beginning to groan. It's a good sign because this is really the time of year that we as Christians have an opportunity to be challenged, to challenge ourselves, to look inside ourselves at our hearts, to examine them, to repent, to go to God to renew us, to make us into different people. It's, it's a time that we intentionally come to prayer for ourselves, for our church, for our world, for the renewal of these things. But more than that, it's a season where we recognize that we cannot do this alone. For some of us who've given up things for Lent, maybe it's sugar, maybe it's coffee, maybe it's Netflix. It's pretty astounding how weak we actually are, isn't it? We know that we can't—how could we even—if we can't even do this work of giving up something so minuscule as sugar in our lives, how can we even have any hope of throwing off sin that leads us astray? Well, we know that we don't do it alone. That's, that's the hope of this season. It's that we, as, as Paul writes in Romans, right, this, this Holy Spirit that God gives us, his personal presence, bears with us, groans with us, intercedes on our behalf before God in heaven so that we may be empowered to do this work in the Lenten journey. And so last week, we were challenged in our idea of winning, where Jesus said to us that winning, it, we should not be seeking to win in any sort of worldly standard. Instead, to hand ourselves over, to hand our, our personal agendas over, to hand our, our uh, insecurities over, our fears over, our failures over to him, to find our true and proper selves in a relationship with him. It's countercultural, and it's the gospel way of of winning. is by emptying ourselves, by serving each other. I think this week, the lectionary passages, especially the strange story about Jesus having a fit in the temple, show us the significance that worship plays in our lives. Perhaps right off the bat, you're thinking, you know, what in the world could this this passage written 2,000 years ago about Jesus— getting people out of the temple. What could it have to do with me? By flipping tables, what Jesus is, he's making a statement. And he's saying, he's, he's putting his stake down on how important worship is in everyone's life. How important it is that we pay attention to it because it is both the antidote to ourselves, our own, you know, um, brokenness, and it's incredibly tragic and destructive when it goes off track. The good news for us this morning is that Jesus actually shows us how we can get it back on track. And so let's ask a few key questions this morning, I think, is, you know, um, what's the big deal about the temple? Like, why does Jesus care so much about this place? And then let's ask the question, um, Why does he get so upset in the temple? And then third, let's ask, you know, what is that strange prophecy at the end? Okay, so three questions. You know, what is the big deal about the temple? Why does Jesus get so upset? And what's with this prophecy at the end? So let's start with the first question. What is the big deal about the temple? We're told right at the beginning beginning of this story that that Jesus, it was time for the Passover, and Jesus goes up to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem... uh, Was the the most central city in the Jewish world, and not because it was you know the biggest population or because it was the center for business or commerce, but because in the center of the city, on the highest point, was the temple. Now you may have heard of the temple before, but it was incredibly important to the Jewish people. See, it was the place where God lived; it was His house. It was the, the, the place where heaven and earth intersected. It was the hotspot of God's presence. Now, you may know that, that word hotspot, right? If you're wandering around your house trying to find the best connection for Zoom, as I've done a lot in the past 12 months, right? We try to find the, 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 the best spot to pick up that internet signal, and that's because our routers, our internet routers, are casting the presence of the internet all over our house. Right? And so this is the view that the temple was the hot spot of God's presence in the Jewish world. If they wanted to encounter God, they went to the temple. This is why so many Psalms, David is groaning. He's longing to be in the temple. Or he's talking so, um, you know, so uh, passionately about being in the temple. It was the hot spot. We also think of, you know, when the prophet Isaiah has this vision uh, at the beginning of his, his book uh, of prophecies where he sees himself in the temple, right? And he's convicted, and he has this vision in the temple. And it says that, um, uh, where, where did I have, that God is seated on his throne, but his robe filled the temple. Right? And so we pick up on that idea in Isaiah, where he's saying, yeah, God's seated in heaven, but, but his throne fills the temple. It means that this is, this is kind of the intersection point. This is where he, 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 he rules the world from. And now, maybe we are thinking, you know, why the temple? Like, why couldn't God just, you know, God created this world? Uh, why couldn't he just be all over? <laughs> and it used to be that way. The writers of the Bible tell us that God created the world as a temple, all of it. All of it was a temple. And that, that he placed human beings, right? In, we read in the book of Genesis, the Garden of Eden. Um, Eden was the, the place where God was with his people. He was with Adam and Eve. He was able to walk in their presence all the time. And he gave Adam and Eve this special place in creation to be his his image bearers, to represent him, to carry on his work of creating, to fulfill his purpose in the world. It's it, it, like God gave what Adam and Eve to Adam and Eve what your school might give to you if you, you know, if you put on that, that jersey that says Calvin Christian School or uh, HDCH, or whatever school you go to, right? You, when you put that, that jersey on, or when you um, represent your school for the science fair, you are you are you are taking the ethos of your school, and you are putting it on display. And that is what Adam uh, that, that God called Adam and Eve to do. You know, when I, when I was at Redeemer, we had this this saying. It, it was whatever you do. That was what was written on the backs of our, our Redeemer Royals T-shirts. Whatever you do, coming from Paul's letter to the Colossians, but um, he, you know, whatever we do, we wanted to keep it front and center on our mind that when we stepped out on that court, or that field, or that track, that there was something more important that we were representing. It wasn't just our school, even. It was our faith. It was our commitment to the Lord. It was worship. Everything that we did on that field was worship. It was in response to representing. God created our lives to be lived under that slogan. But Adam and Eve didn't really do this too well, did they? Thumbs up or thumbs down? (laughs) I mean, it didn't take them very long before they ended up making their own rules, right? Whatever, whatever they did, they decided to do for themselves. Ignoring God's command, right? Eating the, the fruit of the tree that God told them not to. And their worship veered off track. Who they were representing veered off track. They forgot about God, the way that He designed their lives to be lived, the, the way that He put them uh, in the garden to tend it. It was a worship problem. And so out of, out of love, God sent them out of the garden. Now, why, why do I tell that story about the Garden of Eden? Well, because that's what the temple was. It was God saying to his people, I'm not done with this. I was reading a few weeks ago in the, the storybook Bible, where that first, um, the first one where it shows, there's a picture of Adam and Eve walking out of the garden. And it says, in any other story, that would be the end. But not this one. And the temple is God saying to his people, I'm not done with you. You are a broken people, but I love you too much to let you go. And so the temple and the sacrifices was a way that God could be with his people. That God could rule the world. That they, they may continue their calling and purpose to be his representatives to the rest of of creation. And it was under the obedience to the covenant that God could be with them. It was under the blood of the perfect spotless lamb that was sacrificed on the altar that the people could come into the presence of God. Worship in the temple was what kept them on track. It was the starting point for God's renewal movement. And if you look at Israel's history in the nation of Israel, when their temple worship veered off track, their whole nation fell apart. They're so intimately tied together, and it's the same for us. See, the temple in Israel was the place where God was present with his people. The place where they remembered and pointed to, who sat on the throne, who, who, who knew them, who loved them, who was ruling their world, and it was so intimately tied to their health as a nation. And this is the context that Jesus gets so livid. It's really interesting. When I was doing the, the research for this sermon, see, this is why Jesus gets so upset. This is the second question now. I couldn't find any scholar who said anything about the money changers or the animal um, uh, the, the the animal merchants doing anything wrong. Like they were not, you know, uh, guilty of cheating people. They were not um, being being. Uh, they were not lying. They were not. They were not stealing. And they were actually being useful. It was practical. See, because when the Israelites were captured and taken away from their land 500 years before this story, they were spread all across the known world. And when it came time for important feasts like, like Passover, they would all come back to, to Jerusalem to worship. And it would be very inconvenient, if you can think about how fast a cow walks, to try to ca- take one from Spain to Jerusalem. It would take you forever. And so they said, well, I think we can have a solution to this. What we can do is we can just forget those animals at home and buy one when we get there. Right? Tracy and I do this when we go up to the cottage. Instead of trucking all of our groceries, we just buy them while we're up there. It's convenient. But convenient isn't always faithful. I love how one person I read this week put it. They said Jesus' complaint is not that they were guilty of sharp business practice, but that they should not be in the temple area at all. Instead of solemn dignity, the murmur of prayer, there is bellowing of cattle and bleeding of sheep. Instead of brokenness and contrition, holy adoration, prolonged petition, there is noisy commerce. And what this person is saying is that when someone c- came from far off to make that sacrifice, you know, they, they didn't bring their, their cattle or their sacrifice along with them. And so they would, and they didn't bring their money for the temple tax with them because it was in a different currency. And so they would head up to the temple. They would go into the temple. They would change the money over, 500, or 50 meters over. They would get the, the calf or the, the dove or whatever. And then, they, and then they would go to the priest. And, and they weren't thinking about what they were doing. remember what the temple signified. And so Jesus is livid at their empty religion. He's saying to them, you've missed the point. It's not about the sacrifices themselves. It's about your heart. It's about you remembering and encountering the living God, the God who doesn't give up on you. He says, I don't want your sacrifices, if that's what it's going to mean for you, just a convenience thing, just trying to, to get it over with and done and Do the penance and move on. I want it to sink into your hearts. I want you to feel how deeply you've wronged me. And about what you were created to do. How you were created to live in a relationship with me. And about how to do that. To honor the covenant. To pay attention to the commandments. See, Jesus threw over the tables to get their attention to correct their worship before it destroyed them. And sometimes God does the same thing in our lives, too. See, like the Israelites, we have a problem. We elevate things all the time to take the place of God in our lives. We forget that God has called us to be his image bearers, his representatives in the world to other people. We forget that that means every square inch of our lives is an act of worship. And so not necessarily in any glaring ways can we pick up on this right away maybe, but think about your relationships, our attitudes, your passions and desires. These are what get off track first when our worship is messed up. Sometimes God flips over tables in our own hearts, too. In our consciences. To drive us back to Him. Right? Think about a time that you've heard a sermon or a song. Or a moment in your life. Or or a scripture passage that you can't shake. Those moments that just catch you. What if that was Jesus trying to get your attention, something to pay attention to? See, because I think what we can see in this passage is that Jesus flipping tables is actually an act of love. Right? If we just looked at this passage without any bigger context, it would seem like this rabbi is just having a fit, a tantrum. But that's not the case. Because Jesus does not leave his people after this. So he goes and flips the tables and then heads to the cross. It's in the context of the relationship that this is seen as an act of love, a way to wake us up and draw us back to him. And the whip, the whip that Jesus made that confuses us, why would Jesus whip people? The Greek is actually reeds. He made a whip out of reeds out of out of not anything that could inflict any sort of pain one person i read this week said that that whip was not to inflict pain it was to instill on them his face when he held it how serious he was about their worship but how could jesus have that whip made out of reeds when their worship was way off track, well, because he took the, the, the whip of cords that drew blood. Right? When he went to the cross. And so he can wake us up with the, the, the whip of grace. And, but what about that prophecy at the end? What does it mean? And Jesus Told the Jewish people who were looking for a sign. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. And he was speaking, John tells us, about his body. Right? He wasn't speaking about the physical building. He was speaking about his body and he was speaking about his death and resurrection. And what Jesus is saying in this is he's saying, I am the true temple. I am the one that all of these sacrifices point to. I'm the, the presence of God in your midst in that glorious opening chapter in the book of John, he says that, that he uses the word for temple, tabernacle. Jesus Christ tabernacled among the people. He was the living and breathing presence of God in their midst. And he said, I've come not to prophesy your destruction, but mine. You look at that. In three days, I will raise it up again. He was talking about his death, not ours. See, every other thing that we worship in our lives, that we build our lives on apart from Jesus, will say to us, this is what you have to do to experience freedom. This is what you have to do to, to, uh, to change, to get happiness. This is what you have to work for. But Jesus Christ is the only Savior who says not this is what you have to do, but this is what I have come to do. He is the perfect sacrifice. He is the spotless lamb. He came to make atonement for our sin to bring us back. And this is God's mission, to restore us and our world. And he invites us to be a part of it. Through Jesus Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. Right? To continually renew us. It was all throughout that baptism liturgy that we read earlier. Right? The Holy Spirit is the, what enables us to do this ongoing work of repentance that leads to renewal. And see, with the Holy Spirit, with God's personal presence, you, just think about that. The, the temple was God's presence, and the Holy Spirit is God's personal presence given to us. You know what that means? That means we are mini-temples. We are each mini temples. We are each mini gardens of Eden walking around this earth. It is such a beautiful calling that we may point to the glory of God in all that we do. This is why worship matters so much. And yes, we are all broken people, right? We are all In need of grace, and we all will go off track in our worship. That's why we need to come under the blood of the Lamb. Under His sacrifice, we receive the grace that we need to live without guilt, without shame, without fear that that we, we are wrong because we know that we are broken and we are sinful. It gives us the confidence to ask ourselves questions like, where is Jesus turning tables in my life? Where am I getting into that lineup at the temple amid the hubbub, not thinking about my own heart, and just sacrificing it on the altar and heading out on my day? Where is God inviting you to be renewed See, through the blood of Christ, repentance and renewal, those two words of Lent are not voices of condemnation. They're the heartbeat of our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, the grace that you give to us through Christ that we may come to you to live in your presence under the blood of the Lamb under his perfect sacrifice and not our own, under his perfect life and not our own. And Father, thank you that you have such a big vision for for us and our world, that that you are making all things new. Help us, Father, through your Holy Spirit, to take hold of what you've put in front of each one of us, that whether it's changing diapers, making dinner, building a business, building a building, that this, these are all opportunities for us to represent you by doing good, by loving our neighbor as ourselves, by loving you above all things. Father, throughout this Lenten journey that we are on, help us to continue to do the work of repentance, leading to renewal. Put Jesus in front of us all the time, that we can actually do this with each other,